Section 27 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Criminal Investigation, A Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers, Volume 3, by Hans Gross, translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. 4A, 5-6. Cheating and Fraud Continued. 5. Employment of Assistance. No horse dealer, however skillful, can do anything alone. He cannot succeed without the employment of assistance. All his men, from his most intimate confidant to his youngest stable boy, can render him the greatest services, but at the same time can do him the greatest harm. The skilled dealer, therefore, sacrifices no less time and trouble in training his employees than in training his horses. It is of the utmost importance that the groom should keep the stable spotlessly clean, be always at his post, and be ready to do exactly as his master would do himself if he was not occupied with the buyer. On the arrival of the latter, the grooms, therefore, station themselves on each side of the horses he looks at so as to hide the animal's defects. The business of one is to calm the horse that takes fright, of a second to correct the curved spine of another horse, of a third, fourth, and fifth to prevent others from lying down or biting the manger, etc. A sixth caresses one to prevent it from kicking when the purchaser is passing beside it, and thus the first visit passes off in a most brilliant manner. For showing off horses either in repose or in movement, the dealer has special men. On principle, he does not occupy himself with the horse. He takes on the buyer, watches and scrutinizes him, tells him stories, promises him mountains and marvels. Near the horse is stationed the horse-breaker or some other trusted person. Between this latter and the dealer, there exists a prearranged manner of talking whereby the turn of certain phrases which to the uninitiated appear the most inoffensive in the world, have a very precise signification. When, for example, the dealer says, Bring the black horse as he is, that means, This man understands nothing about horses. He will not notice that the horse has spavins. It is unnecessary to heat the beast, bring him out straight away, etc. The same understanding exists between the breaker in and the groom who holds the whip. The latter is the intermediary between the dealer and the breaker in. If, for example, the buyer has expressed a fear that the horse turns into the wall, the dealer lets the man with the whip know this, and the latter immediately communicates it to the breaker in. It is then the business of these two so to treat the beast that it loses all desire of turning into the wall. It is also necessary to know whether the commands given by the dealer to the groom riding the horse in the presence of a third party are given seriously or simply as a matter of form, and whether they ought to be obeyed or not. When, for example, a horse gallops badly, and soon gets tired, the dealer will time after time order the groom to gallop, but the latter will not gallop, or will only gallop for a few moments, and then let the horse trot in spite of all the raging and swearing of his master, who will express to the buyer his great regret at not being able to point out precisely the most beautiful qualities of the horse, owing to the stupidity of the groom. Do not whip the horse so much, Morchins makes his Jewish dealer say. Let him go as he likes. See how well he goes. But the stable boys recommence to whip him, for they know very well the horse will not budge an inch without the whip. Besides those people the dealer employs constantly in his stable, there are yet others with whom he has relations unknown to the public. 
These are his touts, who for a small reward tell everyone about the dealer and sing his praises, especially if the latter does not often come to town. These touts attend the market, admire the horses, try them, and make offers. On the arrival of other customers, the false buyers search their pocketbooks and finally find that, much to their regret, they have not enough money with them to buy the fine beast, thus inciting the others to buy. These people pretend to be merchants, rich farmers, country gentlemen, and sometimes even cavalry officers. These touts also serve the dealer by speaking of the high price and the strong demand for horses, and in decrying other dealers, all the while pretending they do not know the particular man for whom they work. Horse dealers have also touts and agents among a class of men which exists in all localities who, through either dilettantism or ennui, busy themselves with horses, and little by little acquiring the reputation of connoisseurs, their opinion is considered to be authoritative. Every dealer, whether he be established in a place or merely goes there from time to time, knows who these people are and tries to make their acquaintance. If he succeeds in opening relations with one of them, and this is not a difficult matter, he makes every effort to have a talk with him on a favorable day. He speaks at great length about his extensive business, fine horses, and especially his honest methods, and finally sells him, often at a great loss, a really good horse at a very low price. The capital he risks earns good interest, for the buyer thus served cannot do otherwise than sing the praises of the dealer wherever he goes. A trick employed by all horse dealers, and which may or may not, according to circumstances, be considered fraudulent, is to enter into relations with another dealer living in a distant place, and exchange with him horses which neither of them can dispose of. Indeed, a horse which is stationed for long in the stable of a dealer is practically unsellable. Every purchaser imagines that the beast must have something wrong with it, or it would have been sold. And so the longer it remains, the longer it is likely to remain. All dealers have such horses, which if exchanged will sell readily enough in a new stable as newly imported animals. A common method of the dealer is to get into relations with the servants of his clients, thus the more easily to deceive their masters. We know how certain people, especially elderly people, ladies, and people who know little about horses, allow themselves to be influenced by their coachmen and follow their advice, simply so as not to be condemned to listen afterwards to their continual complaints and recriminations. To get rid of the horse, the dealer therefore seeks to gain over the coachman or groom of a customer, not often a difficult matter. This procedure throws a flood of light upon many a bad bargain. It frequently happens that dealers corrupt the servant of a person from whom they wish to buy a horse at an absurdly low price. The servant makes the master believe that the horse is ill and vicious and must be got rid of at any cost. For this purpose, the servant inserts little pieces of soap between the teeth of the horse, not to make it foam, but to make it lose its appetite, and after a few weeks it grows thin, loses its strength, and appears to be of no value. The horse once bought, the soap is removed, and in a little while the horse completely recovers. In the same way, small pieces of needle are buried in the coronet of the hoof. These completely disappear and the horse limps more and more. The reason for its doing so remains undiscovered, and finally, the owner of the horse is very glad to get rid of it at the lowest price. Then the needle is removed, and the horse recovers in a day or two. These two methods are not only employed by unfaithful servants, but also by gypsies who sneak into the stables and afterwards turn up to buy the valueless horse, good only for knacking. In conclusion, let us mention the method whereby a horse is made to refuse to go when drawing a heavy load up an incline. Pointed nails are placed in the inside of the collar well away from the shaft side. 
these nails dig into the horse's skin whenever it begins to pull vigorously. Now, if a horse absolutely refuses to go on in spite of thrashing, it is unfit for any service in every country which is not quite flat. It goes without saying that its owner seeks to get rid of it at any price. 6. Horse and Cattle Marks Throughout India, great importance is attached by natives to the hair marks on the bodies of horses and oxen. These are called crowns, ridges, or feather marks according to their shape. Their position on the body indicates to the superstitious native, and who among them is not superstitious, that the beast is lucky or unlucky. No purchaser neglects to examine a horse or ox for these marks, and, at least in the south of India, attaches quite as much value to them as to the other points of the animal. The dealer will find it exceedingly difficult to rid himself of a horse or ox with a really unlucky mark, and it is a common practice to endeavor to obliterate such, or to produce a sham lucky one. In the northern provinces, says J.D.E. Holmes, owners and breeders are not so much guided by these superstitions, because by them the good and bad points of a horse are better understood. In purchasing cattle, less stress is laid on these marks than in the selection of a horse. In purchasing a cow, her hair marks are not at all considered. Presumably her sacredness covers a multitude of sins. A. Horses According to Holmes, the following marks are lucky. 1. A ridge, 1 to 3 inches long, situated between the throat and counter along the line of the trachea, is the most lucky mark a horse can possess. Diobund or Diavamani, having control of equal spirits. 2. A mark like a lotus flower, but only lucky if situated on the line of the trachea, one or two inches below the angle of the jaw. Kanta, neck ornament. 3. Two crowns on the pole at either side opposite to one another. Mastak, head. 4. Two crowns on forehead situated horizontally above the inner canthus. Torum, anklet. Sometimes considered unlucky. 5. A white mark on a horse of any color but white or gray. 6. Four white legs or pasterns are very lucky. 7. White, dun, gray, piebald, or skewbald horses are very lucky. The following marks are unlucky. 8. A crown or irregular mark on the counter, near or upon the sternum, is very unlucky and is considered a sign of sudden death to the owner. Herdeval or Herda. 9. A crown on the forehead below the line of the inner canthus. Unsudahai, weeping. 10. Two crowns on the forehead, one just above the other. Beheraktad, breaker of water pots, or Tatari, umbrella. 11. Three crowns in a line or triangle. 12. Three or more crowns in a row. Chula, fireplace. 13. A small crown under the chest above the girth, very unlucky. Gome, centipede. 14. A large crown on abdomen between the sternum and the sheath. Gunkapet. 15. One crown on one side of the neck and none on the other, or two on one side and one on the other is most unlucky. Sapin, snake. 16. A crown on the withers. Pethsapin, or hasanakod. 17. Ridges running round the neck from the mastic marks. See 3, supra. Janaza, coffin. 18. The mastic marks, C3, supra, when not opposite, are unlucky. 
19. The contamark, C2 supra, went out of place. 20. A ridge directed upwards on the outer side of one or both forelegs indicates that the owner will go to jail. Body, fetter. 21. A ridge directed downwards on one or both hind legs below the hocks. Cortaragad, peg driver. 22. Teat-like projections on the sheath of the male are unlucky. Thani, teat. B. Cattle. Lucky marks. 1. A ridge of hair along the middle line of the back about its center. Tamani. The purchaser will acquire a large herd. 2. Two ridges, one on each side of the brisket. A single hair mark on one side of the brisket is, however, most unlucky. Raticabam. 3. A crown on the forehead above the line of the eyes. Bashikam Suli. The purchaser will soon marry or remarry. 4. A crown upon, in front of, or immediately behind the hump. Gopura Suli. 5. A crown on the middle line of the back, just opposite to the opening of the urethra. Regarding this, the saying is that the family will either be reduced to ashes or swell like a river. The hair mark is thus of doubtful signification. An intending purchaser, rather than incur the risk of evil consequences, will avoid the purchase. The riots say that if a little earth be taken and rubbed on this hair mark, the bullock will void urine, near Suli. 6. A ridge of hair on the hindquarters curving up to the back is a sign of coming prosperity. Europordon, ascending centipede. 7. A hair mark on one side of the neck at a distance from the dewlap. This is the most lucky mark, but it is rarely met with. Lakshumi Suli. Unlucky marks. 8. Three crowns on the forehead arranged in the form of a triangle. Makanti Suli or Agni Suli. 9. Two crowns, one over the other, on the forehead. Kudai Melkadai. 10. A single hair mark on one side of the brisket close to the middle line. Otai Kabam. 11. Hair marks on the fetlocks of either pair of legs. Velangusuli. Fetters. 12. Two ridges of hair on the back of either side of the middle line. Padai Suli. 13. A ridge of hair on the hindquarters not curving upwards to the back. Irangupordum. 14. A ridge of hair on the haunch, spreading out at one end like the hood of a cobra. Nagapadam. 15. A crown, situated on the back between the points of the hips. Tatasuli. Obstacle. 16. A mark on the side of the tail near the root, sometimes extending as a ridge over the back. Tudipa Suli. Numbers 8, 9, 13, and 15 indicate disaster in undertakings. Numbers 10 and 12 foretell death to the purchaser. Number 11 indicates that the purchaser will soon be in jail. If a bullock has the root of the tuft of hair on the tail situated above the hawk, or the horns hollow and with white patches or tops, or has cut only seven permanent incisors, it is unlucky. If it has white hair, skin, horns, and hoofs, it is weakly and to be avoided. If a black bullock is not a rogue, it is of great value. A bullock spotted like a deer is very lucky. If it cuts only six permanent incisors, it is very lucky. If a cow at the time of purchase voids urine, it is considered a very good omen, 
but if she passes dung it is a bad omen. The reverse is the case with a bullock. End of section 27 Recording by Todd